This is Spoke, the all-new and exclusive podcast series with me, Chidera, a.k.a. The Slum Flower. And me, Sully Breaks, poet, writer, spoken word, artist, etc., etc. Where we discuss issues at the heart of youth culture and how music and literature are shaping the conversation. Young people today live in uncertain times. With tuition fee rises and zero-hour contracts on the rise, low prospects of owning a home and huge job insecurity, the future can often look pretty bleak. And in the time of fake news, young people are turning to their favourite artists, obviously, for guidance. Artists like Stormzy, JME and Lily Allen have proved that by using their platform, they can enact change and start debate. Indeed, of the 58% of Grime fans who voted Labour in 2017, 24% said that Grime for Corbyn influenced their vote. But the real question is, should we really be turning to celebrities for all our news, you know what I mean? Do artists have a responsibility to be political, or is Theresa May really, as my guy Stormzy put it, a pagan? <laughs> In this show, we're discussing the impact youth culture has over today's politics and the responsibility artists have to enact change. Change. Yeah, fam. Yeah, so I think part of why... You know, Theresa May is definitely seen as a pagan, and I say that with my full entire chest and diaphragm. It's because, you know, recent events have shown that she's not as committed to what she present has presented herself to be committed to, e.g. Grenfell, um, where she literally had minimal involvement and displayed very little um, empathy towards the situation. And I think that was the time when we really, really needed her and she didn't show up. And I think that resentment is probably what's carried us through the rest of the year and has definitely changed the way that we approach politics as young people. What do you think? 100%. I feel like the whole the whole situation basically is like representation in it. People are looking to someone who's supposed to be a leader, who's supposed to be at the forefront of government. I'm not a massive person into polit- in politics, but Theresa's supposed to be at the forefront. She's supposed to be the person ushering the, the country into a new age. Is that too dramatic? Is that That's, well, that's a dramatic is, statement, isn't it? I don't think it's dramatic, but then yeah. I think, yeah. do we, what, did we have our hopes up too high for her? I don't think anyone really wanted her to be... No, <laughs> she I'm kind of just, just arrived yeah, one yeah, day and was like, yeah, hey, everyone, yeah. I'm uni Yeah, so that's what happened, you get what I'm saying? So now if you're coming in and you're taking that position, it's kind of like, you better deliver or you yeah. better at least show some kind of awareness yeah. Of the of the responsibility or or the role of the people you 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 taken on board, you know what I mean? Because it was it was a hung parliament. Is that the term hung parliament? Is that, is that yeah, the term? I think, yeah, I think that's yeah, it's it a hung parliament. You know, so the parliament was hanging, and she just jumped in and swooped in and and, and stopped it from hanging. Grabbed that. I'm trying to go for the metaphors. Remember last week? Yeah. Within this whole poetry thing, innit? <laughs> she she came. She she swooped in, and she kind of like she's under delivering because. She hasn't justified her claim to the throne. I think there's a Game of Thrones theme for this one. Her claim to the throne. Usher in the ages, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So if you don't know, Sully is an absolute major fan of Game of Thrones and we've spent ages talking about Game of Thrones. A real fan, a real fan. Like back, I got it before, you know, all the hype, you know. I know certain people jumped on it when the hype was there, but, you know, I got it when, you know, it was still, my boy gave it to me on a CD, you know, so that shows how real it was. 
out in, in the, the streets. You were out in the streets. Out in the, in the 90s. streets. You know, he gave me Shut that work. CDs. He gave me that work. He said, mm. yo, check this out. This is going to be good. I was mm. like, Game of Thrones. I'm not trying to watch none of this medieval kind of, you know what I'm saying? So I put it in and I was like, wow, this really has a potential to change generations and to be a hit show for HBO within the next few years to come. And Do you reckon there I'm, are any parallels between, this might be a wild question and if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Do you reckon there are any parallels between Game of Thrones and politics? politics? 100%. 100%. 100%. You know what I mean? Because it's all the Iron Throne. Everybody is trying to... You watch Game of Thrones? No. Ah, so if you, there's this character, no spoilers, Cersei, and, like, she's just ruthless, whatever it takes to be on the throne, do you get what I'm saying? And nobody likes her. Do you get what I'm saying? She's not likable, and it's kind of, like, so she's much... She's Theresa May. I wouldn't go. I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> Do you think I hope. I hope. Yeah. I hope. May. Cersei can be like Cersei is a real like. I don't even know the word, but yeah. And I think Theresa May. Theresa May is right now. She's sitting on the throne. You know what I mean? She's she's in um. Win, is it winter? No, it's not winter. King's Landing, sitting on the mm-hmm. throne in 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 the, in the parliament, and people are just trying to be like, no, you don't deserve to be there. And she's just like, no, I'm chopping off anybody's head who disagrees. You know. <laughs> so I feel like yeah, right now that's a good analogy. I'm happy for you that you managed to do that. Don't worry, we'll keep it next next week. You can pick the theme. It's cool, it's cool. <laughs> so we are joined by two really, really epic human beings. As you know, every single time we come here, we are joined by amazing guests who don't just come with their excellence, but they also bring an item with them. So our first guest is Caitlin Scarlett, and we're also joined by Caleb Femi. Thank you so much, you both, for being here. Thank you, guys. Absolutely wonderful to see you both. Thank you. Glad to be here. Caitlin, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, I'm Caitlin. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All the way from, hailing all the way from West London today. Yep, yep. So what do you do, Caitlin? um, I'm a musician, so I write songs and I also release my own songs as an artist as well. I saw two of your videos before I came. I really like them, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Do you direct your videos as well? Yeah, yeah. I can see the consistency because there's a kind of, I, I guess, more so of new artists, there's kind of like themes. I guess you're trying to tell a story from not necessarily the narrative, but the texture and the way each video kind of looks. Yeah, there's definitely like a congruent aesthetic to it. Yeah, that's what I yeah. I like that word, congruent. Yeah, what does congruent mean? That down. It means that everything is sort of it's smooth and it all is the same and you can keep so it like consistent, coherent. really. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I've learned that thing today. Do you know what? There's a fun fact I read about you that you worked with Idris Elba. Oh, my God. Oh Where my did God. you read that? Girl, I so there, was, there was like a list of her. Like she worked oh. with Beyonce's producers. Is what I'm <laughs> oh, no. What? That wasn't Dai. That was Mellow. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah Mellow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was all oh, the fact. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So was, I've actually known him since I was 18. That's really who, weird. Who, Idris Elba? Oh, no, not Idris, no. (laughs) She's just like, Idris, Idris. Tell me more about Idris. Can I have his number? (laughs) Yeah, no, I did work with him. So he did um, an an album based on Luther, his character from the show. So while he was writing a concept album, I did a couple of days with him in the studio. And he's a really cool dude. Too cool, really. He made me scrambled eggs. Really? Made you eggs. Good times. How can they say he can't be Bond? The man made scrambled eggs for the artist he was collaborating with. Hell yeah, yeah. That qualifies him for Bond. Played FIFA. Played a bit of FIFA and ate some scrambled eggs. Where was the studio? It was in like Camden. And has a kitchen in it. It's got its own. Yeah, it's like this hidden thing, and you go in, and it's like a massive warehouse. He's converted it. Oh, hey up! Someone's got a reminder going on. What? And um, who is it? It's not me either. It's mysterious. Oh my god, it's literally me. <laughs> that was so great. Everyone's like, Do you know what? Do you know what this reminder is for? Wait, let me what tell you. This is, is really up? important. I'm so sorry. I've ruined the podcast. It's okay. But I need, okay, the reason hilarious. I have this reminder is because last night I got in drunk and I ordered a del- Deliveroo. 
and I did that thing of accidentally ordering from something that doesn't open until the next day but it oh. went through so right now someone's going to be trying to deliver <laughs> a cheeseburger to my house oh, and I no. set that alarm to remind myself to call customer service oh. and <laughs> cancel it I can't because I'm here doing the podcast oh so one of my housemates is about to have a free cheeseburger and I get them Sorry to redirect that. it they can redirect it here I'll take that still oh yeah okay cool <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> so Caleb, tell us about you. Hi. You're from Peckham as well. I'm from Peckham. Can I introduce Peckham? I have a relationship with this guy, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So we are now welcome into the mic. The one and only step weighing in at how much you weigh now? Because I know you've been banging them weights. I can see the biceps. I can see the biceps. Weighing in at 80 kg. Standard that I reported. Uh, that's five. actually pretty accurate. I, I can tell though yeah, what I can see, KG. man, because last time you told me you were like 76 trying to get up, innit? Yeah, Just yeah. banging some whey protein and crazy. Uh, I have no idea. Probably 11 stone. Yeah. Probably. Weighing in at 80 yeah. kg. Standing at 5 foot 9 if I no, embellish no, no, it a little no, no. bit. 6 foot. 6 foot. <laughs> that 5 foot 9. Are you actually 6 with, foot? Okay, you know what? I'm 5'10". I'm 5'10". So you rounded it up. And I've just rounded it up. <laughs> but you know what? I've made, I've made peace with my height. It's mm, a good height. Yeah. It's yeah. a solid. And solid, I, heard, I heard a lyric today, um, Lil Wayne's new album. Oh, yeah, he he's said, going um, in. I'm 5'5", five, five, stunting like I'm 5'8". And I was like, wow, Aww. like, 5'8 is... <laughs> it's, is a stunting criteria. Criteria. <laughs> it's stunting criteria. It's stunting criteria. So I was like, okay, at 5'11", 5'10", uh, six foot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right, you know. Now, no, you don't have to be six four. We'll give him six. We'll give I'm him all right. six foot. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, mentally, metaphorically, give that six foot. Yeah, with locks like Samson. You know, his hair's just flowing, flowing in all directions. I'm so you know. jealous. So Caleb's got four C hair for those who <laughs> <laughs> naturals. Caleb has four C hair, and yeah. we were sat for a good half hour talking about our hair care mm-hmm. techniques. And from... I appreciate the advice yeah, as well. Yeah, it was great. Me a lot of advice. It was great. I'm happy for yeah. you. You're gonna have a great hair future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we discussed uh, hair loss. Nah, nah, we didn't really Sully. discuss hair loss like oh. that. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't oh. a topic of oh, conversation. Was feeling uneasy. It wasn't really a Sully's conversation got that like Homer that. Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nowhere near Homer in any in any capacity. I'm not. Listen, I'm here to respect you and I, as, as a guest <laughs> and appreciate what you bring to the table and deliver. Okay. So what what item did you bring for us to look at, please? Uh, I haven't even told you what I did yet. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I thought everybody knew. Oh, man. He said his name. I thought everybody knew in it. You get what I'm saying? Okay, all okay, right. Tell yeah. us about the wonderful things that you do. Uh, I am a poet and a director. Those are the two main things that I do. But I generally like to dabble in loads of other things. Um, like? That, uh, photography, anything music-based, theatre. Um, I like to write essays. Uh, what was I, the last I te- you wrote I'm a teacher essay as well. The last ep- essay that I wrote was um, about sex, actually, was basically about mapping everything that taught me as a young boy um, about sex before I actually had sex. So um, whether it was in the home and outside of, uh, outside of the home and everything that informed me about my role um, during sexual intercourse mm-hmm. and also who I am as a man mm-hmm. and how I relate to the world and how I relate to women and sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, and just how uh, terrible it was and how better it could have been that's so cool certain things were put into mm, place do you ever see yourself turning that essay into a book no Why no not? um because it's it's something that i feel like it doesn't need to 
be a book at the moment because okay. um, there's a lot of things within it that kind of have branches and I haven't really explored that. So I'm someone that like proper needs therapy, but I don't go to go? therapy. No, I like... What's your I, reason? I encourage everyone else. What's I was talking. I was talking to my friend yesterday Caleb. actually about this. <laughs> Basically... I, I'm sort of hiding in plain sight. So I've helped like five of my friends. I've got like the directory of like therapists. I'm so I've, help, I've helped like five. No, I'm, t- I'm telling you, this is the excuse. So I've helped like five of my friends um, find therapists and they have ther- therapy sessions and I don't. And that's what I use to hide in plain sight because I don't. But you're not go. hiding. Yeah, in a sense that it's not anymore. You just said yeah, it on not, your yeah, 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 yeah. Ever since You're yesterday, the one that's directing everyone to a yeah. therapist, and people assume that I go to a therapist. So what's your? You still haven't said what your reason is as to why you don't want to go to therapy. That that is probably the reason why I don't know yet. I don't, Do you yeah. feel like because I think what happens is. Um, you get so caught up in like living vicariously through helping other people yeah. that you feel like it's a false, it's a false, it creates it's a false sense like of progress yeah. because yeah. if you see the results in someone else's life, yeah. then your mind still creates that, I guess, dopamine of, yeah. um, oh, I've achieved something, achieved I've something, helped yeah. someone, mm-hmm. but you're still not helping yourself yeah. and that's not a good enough excuse. And 100%. I think, and I'm hotting you up. I think you can afford therapy. Mm-hmm. And because me, I, I'm like literally like flying around like an eagle all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I make out time for therapy once yeah. a week, every Wednesday on seven, at, yeah. or on seven at seven. I go to therapy, and why that's important for me is because mm-hmm. it makes me feel like there's someone I can check in with, yeah. and because of the nature of what I do, you know, like what we do actually, mm-hmm. because we're in a in a sense we are entertainers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Caitlin, I'm sure you can relate to this too. Yeah, when you're an entertainer, it means that to an extent your career is based on applause. And so that means that people need to like you Mm -hmm. or like what you're doing or even both for you to thrive. Mm. But the problem with um, placing your um, self-worth in the hands of other people, which is what you do as an Mm -hmm. entertainer to an extent, the problem with that is that they get to decide how you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm. But what therapy does is that it puts the power back in your hands by reminding you that Mm -hmm. regardless of what people think of you, Mm. ultimately it's a projection of how they view their self. So even if they they like you and they adore you, Mm -hmm. that's partially because they adore a certain aspect of their Mm -hmm. self. Mm. Totally. And so therapy, I think, is something that we've got to prioritise more. Like, if you can afford to get the new Nike Vapormax or whatever, Mm -hmm. that money can be put into two sessions of therapy. Mm -hmm. There's even apps coming out now, like BetterHelp and things like that. Yeah, or Happy Not Perfect or Headspace. But I still think nothing beats interaction with someone. It's true. My mum's actually a therapist. I was raised by <gasps> oh, a therapist. Really? No way your mum's mm. a therapist. Yeah, oh, so wow. like first-hand have all the experience you could have <laughs> with therapy and like, all of that. So like you were actually like emotionally nurtured from I was yeah, nurtured from, from a young That must be nice, Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice because I've had my fair share of bad experiences in life but having a mum like the one I have has been a real blessing and I genuinely don't know how I would navigate this world. She's always been really nurturing. She's taught me to, to fight with my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, she did not raise me to be like, if a kid hits you, hit them back. She, oh, she, really? Yeah, always. She was like, you know, that's the most basic level that you can fight someone with is like by using hands and fists that you got given. With. Like, you are bigger than that. You're better than that. The world would look different, especially politically, if a lot of people raised their kids like how your mum raised you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what happens with society especially with politics, is that it all reflects 
what the world looks like. So when people say things like, oh, it's because of social media and that's why this particular person got more votes. Or if people say it's because of um, advertising and magazines and that's why this particular thing is scaring people into making a particular choice. Mm. What happens is um, every single thing that we're consuming, every single thing that is pushed to us is a representative of what our society looks like because if there wasn't a demand for it, it wouldn't be there in the first place. If people didn't think it was normal for this to happen, then such thing would be repeated back to us through storylines or narratives. The world would definitely look different if we changed the way that we speak to children about their feelings. Yeah. Because what happens is when you grow up feeling like how how you view the world is isn't important because you're a little person, e.g. Mm. a child, what happens is that those feelings get dismissed and what people don't understand is that a little person a little person's feelings are a big deal. It's That's, big. Your Everything basic is coding in your world. for life is being written during those years. My mum says that a lot during, in, in her line of work. She uses this expression, big things that happen to small people. Mm. And it becomes, they will become your biggest burdens later on in life if you don't address them and, and actually really map them out. Sometimes you have to go right back to the bottom. It's like I'm picking a stitch. Yeah, it's so important to get down to those, those, yeah, those big things that happen to a small person. So on, on that subject, talking about little people, big people and our responsibility to one another in, in our acts. Yeah. What do you think as an artist, like your role or like your peers role is to be responsible towards your audience in the terms of politics or in terms of like social awareness or responsibility? It's a tough one because I, I, I think that well. art should genuinely be or all bets are off like everything's nothing is off limits and I think if there's any place to do stuff try stuff say stuff that isn't going to be like loved or widely accepted art is the place to do it it's going to be the safe space so it's that kind of balance between pushing the envelope doing what you want creatively and also maintaining your social responsibility just as a person and knowing that your drop in the ocean is a little bit bigger than someone else's um, but it, I don't think that they have a social responsibility to necessarily lead the way with certain things. If they, I think if they feel like sharing their political views, and they, um, that's great. But what I don't like is when you start seeing a lot of the real-world problems that we turn to art to escape from bleeding into the culture. Like what? Like right now, I, I feel like there are a lot of echo chambers forming, especially on social media, where algorithms will just feed you what you want, what you like again and again. And I see so many so of these So for those who don't know, what's an echo chamber? An echo chamber is just basically just a space where every some one thing, one noise is being reverberated, bouncing off of the walls and just bouncing again and again. So the world looks space. like... It, it doesn't leave, it just and... gets louder and louder and louder. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just... It's not spreading any ideas. It's not changing any minds. It's just that thing of when you can sit around in a circle and you all sip the Kool-Aid and, like, hype each other up. And then mm. you haven't done anything to, like, change the world, really. You've just sort of solidified your own beliefs. Mm. And I feel like a lot of that is going on. And that's the opposite of what we need in times like this. Like, these posts I see on Facebook. Oh, if you agree with this, then just delete me as a friend. Just, never, just stop yeah. talking to me now. I'm like, I, I can't believe that that... There are some people who might consider themselves activists that would say something like that. Yeah. that these were the times we need to be really openly discussing. And if you're making yourself unavailable to your fans by going, it's this, and if you think anything else, you're wrong and you're bad, you're really starting to infringe upon what art is there to do, in my opinion, which is mm. it's, it's for everyone and it shouldn't tell you what's wrong or right, like regardless of whether it actually is. Yeah, I agree with you because I used to have that very... Um, 
it's either it's either it's black, it's either it's white, it's either yes, it's either a no. Um, very like binary opinion mm. or way I would approach certain discussions. And I think the key word is discussion. You can't have a discussion if someone's already decided on what they think. Yeah. And that is often shown in, you know, like loads of heated online debates, especially to do with politics, where people make it very, 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 very personal and say things like you said about, you know, if you disagree, then unfriend me now. Mm. What happens with that, I think, is that it doesn't create room, like you said earlier, to actually have a healthy discussion. Yeah. And I'm trying to practice that more because as much as for a while it did work for me to be like, if you don't agree with me, then back off and stay away from me. What yeah. happens is it becomes isolating because our viewpoints do shift. It means that you can actually use that knowledge to decide on whether you want to debate with them or whether you want to just say what you feel and not turn it into something personal. Yeah, just for me, plant a few seeds because who yeah. says that you're going to be the one to do it and you're going to be the one to change them? You might be the, the sort of first... And the first trigger that and ten triggers later is what that they start to shift their mindset and it's it's not it's really not up to us what our legacy is but that true activism is to stomach someone that you don't like maybe that the opinion that you find abhorrent and try and reach them anyway and not take any offense if you don't because it's really not your choice and that's mm. that's what true freedom of speech is as well you know they always say that it's it, there's no law against being uh, I don't want to. Can I swear? Swear, <laughs> swear. There's no, there's no laws against being a dickhead, and I think that it needs to stay that way. Like I think mm. that like, everyone has an absolute supreme right to be a dickhead, and everyone has an absolute supreme right to try and reach out to a dickhead and change their mind that day. Go Even on. then, because I mean, Caleb, you were a young poet laureate of London, mm-hmm, meaning yeah. it was your role to kind of like connect with a younger demographic. Wait, what does that mean? Poet yeah, laureate. break it down for What's them. Laureate? So basically, anything to a laureate is someone who. Um, engages with um, society um, or elements of society using poetry, whether it's by, like, capturing the zeitgeist of the time or speaking on certain issues. Um, And as the Young Poet Laureate, you kind of end up working solely with young people. Um, You focus on issues that affect young people, um, education, etc., etc., yeah. yeah, and that I mean, I remember watching you. We were outside um, the Houses of Parliament, mm-hmm. and they'd ask you to come and speak on, yeah. on, as Young Poet Laureate, and that yeah. is very like it was very politically kind of charged environment, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how did you feel like in that moment? Like, where was your responsibility, or where was kind of like? your assessment to how much you can say and what you should say. Because I remember even when we was there, mm-hmm. there was, remember there was a guy talking around taking pictures. Yeah. He was taking pictures of people. Yeah. And he was going up to people and saying, oh, so do you believe in um, Black Lives Matter? Do you believe mm-hmm. in this? And they're taking pictures, you know what I yeah. mean? And it was yeah. like, it was a very political environment, isn't mm-hmm. it? So like, what was the mindset there in relation to this topic of politics? And as like we're saying, as artists, you know, mm-hmm. as creating a wider conversation, you know? Yeah. I think for me, I, there's always this, there's two levels of like approaching politics and, and art. Um, there's the very like politically driven narrative that you can like infuse in your art. Or there's like this, this disguise of being like apolitical and like, I'm not really talking about politics but I think if we if we see politics as basically the governance of life then everything that we include in art is going to be political in some way shape or form whether it's reflecting the the effects of political laws or the political climate or whether it's speaking out against specific laws or speaking out against uh, specific parties or whatever um, so when I'm on 
on stage or when I write or when I'm given a speech or a lecture or anything, I understand my politics and I understand the politics of the particular situation, the event, everything. And that sort of informs me in how I need to move. There are some places that you go for like an affirmation of like what you believe in. And there are some places where you go and you open it wide for discussion and you kind of take a step back and sort of just say who you are. I think sometimes by by the fact that I am just a young black guy on stage saying something is political Mm, before I even open my mouth. Um, so, So, yeah, I think generally, though, I'm more interested in art that reflects the life and times of political climates. So which kind of like links to the the song that I brought, yeah. brought today, which is uh, Gigs, Pain is the Essence. And for me, when that song real came South out... London real Bangle South London. Real South London. Gigs is the president of Pakenham. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I, I think that when that song came out, I think it was 2007, it it really captured the life and times of like young people who were growing up in that particular type of working classness because as we know like working classness is vast and yeah. and different so that specific type um and without i don't know if 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 this was something that was intentional without gigs knowing that song was very politically driven because it spoke to the the council estate politics of whether it was social, economic, racial, classist of all the laws that we had put into place. Yeah, it spoke about education. It spoke about um, family units. It spoke about youth crime. It spoke about youth pain. I mean, like. The That's song what, is yeah, called no, Pain we, is the Essence. bang it in North London as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I feel and, a, and essentially that, that song um, captured the political... I think it's almost a time capsule. If you go back in 100 years' time, you go back and you listen to that song, it really tells you a lot about growing up um, in a council estate in Peckham. But also it could be anywhere in the country, you know? Um, and it really speaks to it's really connected to the fact that it's music. Why is it that Gigs is doing music? What is it about music being this accessible, one of the few accessible things that young people can get involved with? What are the laws that govern all of that? How is Gigs even sustaining himself? Okay, he's talking about being young and not having money and not having opportunities, but then He's speaking almost retrospectively because he's now an artist. He's a little bit more grown and he's making money from it. But is he really making money from it? Because this specific life that he's talking about is stopping him from being on stage and performing with um, Form 696, which is also a political legislation that stops certain types 
of people making music or performing their music and it sort Wait, of keeps what? them there's a legislation yeah. in place that stops yeah. certain people from making music yeah it's recently like been form they got. basically if you don't know what form 696 was it was this form that every music venue had to fill out and you have before you like have a music a live performance venue you have to say um show you have to say what type of artist is performing what genre and also who the demography of the people come in <gasps> to see the show and then it kind of gets approved or not. Oh, my god! Um, yeah, and obviously if you put two and two together, yeah. gigs, that the, makes so the much demo- sense. Demo- demography that's coming to see him. So a lot of the time he, he couldn't do shows, he couldn't do live shows. And that's still happening oh. today. It's been abolished, but then something else has replaced it, which is basically almost the same thing. Um, so basically the reason why they say is to prevent stuff like violent crime happening at shows so right. prevent like knives or guns or just generally people brawling at so at they recognise the power of music then they recognise but then they falsely and they legitimise they falsely, it li- falsely link like music especially black music to this whole sort of thing which is like which if you on a grand scheme of things, you can like do a rock music show mm-hmm. in in like I don't know Shepherd's Bush and oh, a you'll lot get of people, people mosh pits, mosh people pits. die in there. Yeah, yeah, people but, die. Right. People come out with broken noses. A lot of people get hurt. Um, there's a lot of drugs, probably more drugs, a, a, a huge diversity of drugs mm-hmm. that you will get in those shows than in like quote unquote the black. Uh, yeah. Live concert shows, etc., yeah, etc. Et so there's it, it's it's skewed. So that that in itself is very political. Like the mm. music you're talking about is based on the law, is formed and shaped by the laws that has been imposed on you to keep you in this like working class poor situation. And then you can't even use music as a leverage to sort of get out of it because there are all these things that are stopping you stopping you from making financial gains from it, mm-hmm. which kind of keep you in the same cycle of having to go down certain certain routes. Mm. Yeah. But I want to talk more about the item that you brought to us. Actually, it's really cool because I was just thinking while, while Caleb was talking about the fact that he's got sort of a time capsule for now in his song, my song that I've brought is uh, Woodstock by Joni Mitchell. And I feel like that's a real ca- time capsule for the year 1969. Woodstock was like a festival, right? Yeah, Woodstock, yeah, Woodstock was, was, was a, a one-time one thing that happened, the, the most out-of-control, well-known festival that ever took place. Wait, what? why was it Why was it out of control? It was so oversubscribed that they began letting people Where in for happen? free. People, mm. It was in, on a place called Yazga's Farm. It was in America. They threw this festival, and it was a folk music festival, but this was at a time of when music mm. was really everything in culture, and the Vietnam War was on, and rock and roll, and the hippies were, like, thriving, because that was the people's, like reaction to what was going on on the, the really right wing side of things is that the you had the outcry of like the hippies and folk music and that whole movement so so many people turned up for the festival they abandoned they were abandoning their cars miles up the road and just walking the rest of the way I think something like five babies were born there. I've seen the footage. It's like black and white. Lots of like, not black and white, but there's lots of like old school like. It just word, lo- it like, looks like yeah. ants. There's so yeah, many people it, that it crazy. just looks like ants when you see you see the aerial view. It was like it was a legendary day, and Joni Mitchell wrote a song because she couldn't attend for, for some reason or another. Oh really? Yeah, and she was really sad about not being able to go. So she wrote, she wrote the song Woodstock, imagining that she had 
stumbled on Woodstock by, um, by accident. So she kind of, she's walking down the road and she meets someone who's on their way to the farm to go join a rock and roll band and, oh. like, be free. And then it's a really beautiful piece and it is, it's political in nature, but she just sort of describes this feeling that you can relate to no matter what year you're listening in of wanting to get back down to just the, a human, compassionate way of life. Mm. Um, yeah. When was the last time you felt natural, like Honestly... I think it would have to say before iPhones really became a thing. I'm mm-hmm. I I I'm not from London. I grew up in just outside of London, but it's t- technically the country. It's very lush, and I did grow up in fields. I grew up with my like feet dipped in the river as a kid. So when that making that switch over to this like tech life, where like even your leisure time, it's probably involves a game or a screen of some sorts. I definitely agree with, like, the simple childhood I was lucky enough to have, which, like, I've got a sister who's eight, a half-sister, and she won't have it. She already... One time I went to take a picture with her and she went, selfie, and I was like, what the <laughs> hell? Who taught you that? So, yeah, I think that's the last time I felt really like that was when I just didn't have that feeling of, like, even if you leave your phone in the house, there's that small piece of string that goes from your head all the way back to the house where your phone's sitting. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that goes, when I get film. back, will I have texts on it? Like... Uh, that feeling... And the feeling that comes from that when you go and there's no texts. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, all the high that comes when you go in there, there is, and you look at your phone and you could scroll, like, three times before the notifications run out. Like, we all mm-hmm. secretly like that, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I think I'd much rather go back to a time before we were all hooked on that, and, like, we have to be now. You know. Do you reckon, politically, the world would look different if we didn't have, like, social media and iPhones and the ability to see each other's thoughts. Propaganda is real and I think that it would be so different. I mean, I don't even think it would be so as relevant as it is now. Like, politics has Mm. never been so... Politics is as relevant as, like, pop culture. I mean, it almost is pop culture. I think Mm. it's a bit of both, to be honest. I mean, the fact that... The the great thing about it is that people are engaged, people are informed. Um, Like, I think democracy is coming to take new heights. Mm. The bad side is that it's easily influenced. You can turn things that should be real relevant topics into trends, which means that people will tire of them. Trivializing. I feel like that's happened to the Me Too movement a lot. I don't know, I'm not 100% in support of like a lot of things. I think some, there are some things, some decisions uh, that really should not be popularity contests, Uh, but social media are making them into that. Yeah, Mm. I agree with the point you made about, you know, even within the movement of feminism, there Mm. are people like trans-exclusionary radical feminists who manage to take up so much space. And that is really scary because they frame and shape themselves as women who are fighting for women, but then they don't seem to even be consistent in what they're doing. No, they they get the platform because they shout the loudest. Yeah, they're recreating the same violence that imprisons them. You know, Jamie speaks a lot about it on Twitter where he says he wishes that social media wouldn't have... Yeah, follow accounts. And I think Kanye was saying that recently too. I I think that people... We would make genuine decisions for once. Like, we we would go back to having, like, personal taste that's completely not affected. Don't you feel like that's romanticising it, though? Like, because I feel like, as humans, this is what I said responding to Kanye. Obviously, Kanye didn't respond back but you know he's busy working on his album <laughs> but I, I feel like social media the metrics we use to assess and validate ourselves are kind of just an extension of what we've always done so prior to that as humans we had maybe like um, we had like test results you know what I mean or maybe we had like oh like you get um, I had a good list of things but maybe like you get a promotion or you win an award isn't it all about the psychology of needing something to, that external that validates our achievements it's the dopamine rush I actually want to throw a scenario at you lot yeah I want to start with Kayla first so I was watching um, Nina Simone's documentary in it and she said that 
obviously she got very big, she got popular. And then what happened to her career, it went on a downslide because she started singing political music because she became friends with Martin Luther King or a lot of the activists. There's a lot of them I can't mention. I don't Mm -hmm. want to misquote. But she said... Baldwin. uh, Yeah, do you understand? Mm -hmm. And she was saying that in the context of the time she was living, it was irresponsible of her to make any other music. And then she said, oh, then she'd look at the alternative of like Aretha Franklin, mm-hmm. who was making a more like commercially viable music and was mm-hmm. doing very well. But yeah. she was like, I, I, I can't make enough music because it's, it's irresponsible because this is the com- this is the conversation that's happening. Yeah. That's why she went, um, what's what's the song? Um, burn it, the, I can't remember the song about the leaves, Blood in the Leaves, you know, all mm-hmm. those kind of songs. That was even a poem she converted. So what I wanted to pose is, as artists, do you think that in that situation that that was the right course of action? Do you think that's the, that, that's a responsible thing to do or do you feel like you're still discretionary? You know what I mean? You can live at somewhere like America where it's racially charged, all that yeah. stuff, and still make music that makes everybody dance and yeah. not feel inclined to be like, this is my responsibility. Because no, she sacrificed I, her career yeah, for Yeah, I think that there needs to be a balance. There needs to be, like, we can't... The, the thing about political rhetoric um, is that it's so tasking. On, on you emotionally, um, it's such a burden uh, mentally. So we need our Nina Simones, but we also need our Aretha Franklins. We need to have a balance because people need a release at the same time. We do need to understand that, you know, the political life and times that we're going through and the struggles, and we need someone to speak out against that, but also we need to dance a little bit and we just need release. And I think that the two go in great harmony. When they're done really well, it's really good to have that sense of someone who can like help you sort of get inclined or engage with the political rhetoric, but also like when life is just hard and you just need to sort of like put things to the side a little bit and just have fun as a normal human being who just wants to release... um, their stress so I kind of think that we need that we need it's the problem is when we have too many dance 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 everyone forget about this life because then that becomes counterproductive and and we all go into this like sleep mode that slowly kills us but then at the same time when we enter this like hey this is what's going on at, at the moment then we it affects all of our mental health do you know what I mean and we don't know how to sort of find release out of that and sometimes we just I think a balance is needed so whose really. responsibility do you feel it is like the audience like the curators or I like... think I think it's the it's not the, it's the audience's responsibility to look after themselves so if you want to look after yourself have a had have an eclectic taste in <laughs> your playlist yeah, 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 yeah. but at the same time we know that the industry sort of dictate a lot of what the average Joe listens to the radio does the same thing. So a lot of the time, radios, which you said earlier on, all these stations and all these um, record labels have political links um, when you go up the ladder. Mm -hmm. So they have a a mandate themselves that they have to sort of maintain. They don't want things to be too political because then it kind of makes them like the sixth or seventh estate, you know? You mentioned something really, really important earlier. You said that we need to have our Nina Simones. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like today we have people who are embodying mm. that kind of energy of Nina Simone? So they're not necessarily, you know, compared to Nina Simone mm-hmm. or they're like Nina Simone in yeah. any way, but do we have people that are living up to that kind of role through their creativity? Like, are there any people you can reference in our culture now? Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
one of them sitting opposite me. Hey. <laughs> In fact, two of them. How, how, much, them. how, much, how much you paying for that one? What about the fiber that Zone I sleep you, bro? Come on, man. Zone <laughs> In fact, two of you, like globally, you you, you both do that um, and you both are fearless and, and bold in what you have to say Um in regards to like young people and just I guess humans in general mm. um, or the specific like demography that you are focusing on so I think that across the board in so many aspects of life there are so many people doing it via Twitter there are so many people doing it via the work that they create and and the work speaks for themselves they don't really don't really like to have too much dialogue outside of their art. I think there's a lot of people doing it. It's just do we have access to un- to mm. to sort of listen to listen or mm. to to watch or see their work, especially the younger generation. I think coming up, a lot of us are musical. Generally, our musical awakening comes when we leave school and we like start meeting different people, and then we sort of find out things, and we're like, oh wow. But um, it would be good if from a young age we have this like eclectic approach to like all the different types of art that exists in the world a, a lot of it is class-based because it, when i look at people in private schools they were exposed to a lot more things mm. than people in like state schools um etc etc as an artist what do you think your stance would be i mean you're you're in this situation you see all this injustice going around there's a different way James Brown did um, I'm Black and Proud, you know what I mean? But mm. even that affected him because people were thinking, are you trying to be um, are you trying to be an activist? Even though it was a happy song, you know what I mean? So what, what yeah. is your stance on that? Um, well, I just think everybody has their role. And uh, like I, it's music is one of those only one of the only businesses that I don't think is is based genuinely on supply and demand because artists have to create whether or not there's anyone there to consume their art they have to get it out of them so I think whatever people are inclined to make is what they should make if you have this bug and you cannot get rid of it about the fact that you need to say something that's your purpose and you should go ahead and do it but if you want to just make people feel good and help them forget their pain or because you know most everyday average people they are thinking about politics and they are concerned about current social events, but they're also just concerned with their own lives. They want to think about what they're going to make for tea tonight, whether the boy they like at school likes them back, whether their dad's going to recover from cancer, all those things. And they need art to get them through daily life and not just dictate to them what they should be thinking about on a bigger scale and their social responsibilities. And, yeah, I think we need a wide variety of artists always, like Caleb was saying, like, keep your taste eclectic so that we don't form these sort of echo chambers. And if there are artists that feel a social responsibility, then, yes, they have one because they have one as, as a creative. Mm. They have, they've got that thing that they need to get out. And I feel like music speaks through us. We don't know why we keep doing it. It doesn't feed us. It doesn't keep us warm. But every society makes it, every society dances to it. It does serve a purpose. And, you know, just like a farmer's job is to, like, you know, farm and pick up the carrots and feed the pigs, if you've got something to say, and you should, that's that you owe it to the rest of the world. But it doesn't have to be something heavy all the time. It can just be something that makes someone's day a bit better. You know? And can I just say as well, it's a bit you mad. Your point best be good, you know, because no. that was a nice point. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no, no it's, it's more of just like, you know, we're in this like weird thing where people co-opt um, like political like rhetoric and mm. how many people, and, and it really doesn't go with their like, and I think this yeah, is what point. brought up like a lot of cancel, cancel culture. Can you like, explain what you just meant though? And just for someone who may not understand. All right, so basically like, there might be someone who is politically charged in their music, but then in their personal lives, 
um, their personal lives doesn't match up with the things that they say yeah. in their music. So, for example, you might like talk about um, respecting women in your songs, but then in your personal life, mm. there's like abuse and mm. da, 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 da. Yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. so, so, um, and I think I think that's also like an interesting thing how like they found like little bandwagons to jump on for literally just for gain mm. and in their personal lives like nobody's nobody's I mean it's always good if you're very political and then you put your money and your mouth in your songs and then we can say okay cool you're doing it in real lives but also like personally as well like are you actually doing it that's also because then what does it mean and a lot of people become like um, disappointed and heartbroken when they find out that you know they their favourite like artist has like turned out to be quote unquote a fraud I mean I don't really maybe a fraud is not really no but I articulate yeah, you know what, I mean? what you're trying to say yeah, yeah I think it's yeah but I feel like a fraud is a bit strong because some <laughs> we can we can all make mistakes you know and also some stuff can come up from your past where you're not like that anymore so sure. so um, as you know how it works on Spoke at the end of every single episode we make sure to ask each other what we have learned because as much as we can go on forever about these really important discussions ultimately the most important thing is that we learn from each other so mm. Sully what have you learned today? Well Caitlin made a very very interesting point about and it's kind of just, I'm going to be thinking about it for the rest of the day kind of about when she was talking about her mother and talking about therapy and she was talking about the idea of like raising a child um, basically that, that social responsibility as a parent to kind of like empathise with your child's mental health. Obviously, we all think about it, but we're not really taking into consideration like in the context in which you said you grew up with, you know what I mean? In the context that you can grow up as an adult mm. and still directly correlate like how you deal with experiences with your parents' upbringing of you at that young age. You, I know very few people who can directly correlate, like, like they can say who they are now contributed because their parents contributed, but not necessarily in the most positive way, but not as specifically. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So that that really, I mean, that's this is my first experience. Is that with someone. gonna is that gonna influence the way that you approach Nazareth, your son? Of course, like you know, what I'm saying that's what I think that's why it really hit me because I was you know I was I was I mean because he's starting to not drink his milk. He was up to two a.m. last night. You know what I'm saying? Did you bring out the spoon? No, nah, I wouldn't hit. Oh, I would, God, I would never you. bring out. <laughs> I'm soft, Please but I'll just that was just a joke. Soft. Yeah, that's but, the best way to no, teach him would, to be soft too. So it was very interesting. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's something that it may not be something maybe it's something that I'm definitely going to be reflecting on for the rest of the day so that's probably what I'm taking away today that's so awesome I definitely learned from Caitlin about Woodstock Festival I didn't know what that was but when I heard you mention it there was like pictures in my mind of what I used to see on Tumblr of loads of hippies and I'm thinking it must have all most of them must have come from that same festival so it's definitely taught me about you know at a time in 1969 where there wasn't any kind of social media because I'm sure if that happened today where people maybe someone would send out a tweet and be like oh meet me in Victoria Park and then everyone tells about Victoria Park it's different but for something to happen like that on such a scale in 1969 where people couldn't even like phone each other or text each other to ask them where they are it goes to show that there is a force that's stronger than us that can push us in a certain direction and can influence us to literally move our bodies to to use our presence to support something that's absolutely mind-blowing and yeah something I'm going to definitely think about in terms of even like concert culture and you know what we choose to support and 
it's making me definitely question and challenge the things that I choose to leave my house to support, why I support it, what I see in myself that I see in that person and those similarities and just really unpacking that. So thank you. Anytime. Oh. What have you learned today? <laughs> what have I learned? I, honestly, I, I feel more like confirmed in something, which is I'm really pleased to see that there are other people because how often do you get to have a genuine discussion this long and this honest and this mm. focused and it's nice to share the table with young people who can recognize some of the same frequencies that I've been feeling about the fact that you know I do feel like people are turning inwards when it comes to their opinions and sharing and converting other people into whatever that is and and it, I I've, I think I've learned that there's more of an opening and more of a hunger for open honest conversation and acceptance of others and real activism than I internally thought because I think sometimes as a creative you can tend to have quite a pessimistic mindset about the state of the world um, but really when it comes down to it if you just talk to a person look them in the eye and you know don't insult them or anything but just re- honestly try and speak about something human to human you'll get a lot further than you think which is nice mm. What about you Caleb? What have um, you learned today? I've learned that um, I think it's more like you in terms of more of, it's more of a confirmation and just a reaffirmation of the need to every every once in a while stepping out of your echo chamber and just like speaking to people who have different views from you and also just finding that balance between like okay I want to talk to you but is it worth it before we jump into this conversation because you said something that was interesting uh Chidera, about Basically, you need to understand where that person's coming from, understand their background, understand, you know, just how far in they are and and to sort of assess if there's actually any room for uh, a conversation, any wiggle room, do you know what I mean, to swap ideas or to sort of, like, plant seeds in each other's Mm. minds. Otherwise, like, there's actually... Not every fight is worth it. Yeah, not everyone is, (laughs) like, oh, yeah, talk to other people who don't believe what you believe in. (laughs) Um, And then it's like... Yeah, if they're a redneck racist, I don't think I'm going to spend my time trying to convince them. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's more of, like, the people in that sort of lukewarm area that I I really want to start having more conversations with. A lot of the time, it's just... I just don't have the energy. Even people and who that's like okay. who are like me, who are like believing in in similar things to me, I don't even like talking to them because it's just <laughs> like, mate, this is I have I have enough time talking to myself about this and reading up about this, and sometimes it's just too much. You're just talking to the, it; almost feels like this lullaby repeti- repetitive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. That's really awesome. Mm. Oh my gosh, this has been such an awesome episode. Thank you guys so much for your time, your effort, your energy, and just your contribution towards this discussion. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And as always, you know. Oh, thank you. Thanks to Caitlin and Caleb for coming through today. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.